it's hard to figure out how to keep spending. And the idea of consumption means, well, you're not spending faster than you need to. So you can still choose to ramp it back where it makes sense. Hi, folks. You're listening to HashMap on Tap. Welcome in today. Thanks for joining us. I'm Kelly Koleffel, and I'm really pleased to be joined today by our guest, Ajay Badani. Ajay leads digital enablement and insights at Powell Industries. They are a global industrial manufacturer. They cover a range of electrical automation and control monitoring systems and solutions, a lot of different products. He is continuing to really hone his modern data stack and his overall approach to data architecture, engineering, and analytics. And today I'd ask Ajay to rejoin us on HashMap on Tap to talk a little data integration and maybe talk a little bit about the recent Fivetran acquisition of HVR for this show. So Ajay, hey, welcome back to HashMap on Tap. What are you drinking this morning? Hey, Kelly, thanks for having me. I'm actually drinking Kyoto Black coffee. I think last time we uh, met, I was just trying to kind of assess it, and it's become my go-to since then. I guess you could say just like, you know, trying to figure out the right way with my data stack, I figured out the right thing with my coffee, too. <laughs> the coffee stack is just as important as the data stack. And, you know, you want the you want some flexibility in there, too. You know, little maybe uh, cream in there or sugar or whatever. Now, that's, where where's that coffee from? It's um, actually out of a, a local place in Chicago. Um, so my sister's actually the one who turned me on to it and it's kind of, it's been a good fit for me for trying it a lot of different ways. So had it cold, had it warm, had it with, like you said, so it's just been a good flexible kind of coffee for me. Now, do you rely on her care packages from Chicago or do you order directly yourself? <laughs> no, I, def I definitely order it direct. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's really more about how quickly I go through it. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I definitely, uh, always end up in that whole Am I going to drink this this fast? Oh, yeah, I am. Okay, so uh, I have to order it a little bit faster sometimes. Well, it sounds really good. I look forward to uh, enjoying a coffee with you on the show. I'm actually drinking. I've, I'm have i on my third cup today. I shouldn't say that, I guess, but I'm drinking a Melozio <laughs> a Nespresso. I'd, I'd had some Bulletproof this morning, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, ground the beans, and, and that's kind of a go-to for me, but had to uh, kind of rush to get the show going this morning, so I got a uh, Melozio from Nespresso and it's, uh, I haven't actually had this one before. I got oh, a wow. new Nespresso okay. machine and they'd included some of the, some of the different coffees in there. So I'm enjoying that one a little bit darker, uh, which mm -hmm. I do like and, uh, see how that goes throughout the show. That's good. Well, why don't you, well, okay. So we're definitely going to get into some data integration, get into five train HVR, but why don't you just, uh, take a, take a couple of minutes and tell us what's been happening since you were on the show last, you've been again, kind of, continuing to hone and refine your data stack. You've continued to build your data team at PAL the last couple of quarters. Just bring us up speed on what's been going on. Sure. So, you know, just obviously we'll talk more about HVR, but uh, that's probably been like the most significant change since we last met is just, I think when we last met, we had just kind of done our training on HVR and we were trying to hone on getting it up and running. So that's something we've done since then. And uh, I'll be fair, we were... Um, trying to time it based on when potentially HVR6 would be available, but we're live on um, 5.7. And uh, so getting those sources onboarded, which, you know, covers our critical business systems has been accomplished. And as you said, kind of now we're on the next kind of stage of it, which is we've got those critical ones. Now, how do we treat the next steps in the data sec now that getting data to the warehouse is doable now in a way that it was never before. And it's not putting additional strain on our source systems, unlike basically everything we've ever done before now. 
So that's been kind of the main focus. And it's looking at those next steps that we've been doing um, kind of in the intervening time. Highlight for us your your main sources. What what are those? And, you know, kind of what's the what's the overall uh, challenge on those? Because you mentioned no additional strain. I'm assuming that uh, you've got some some core systems there that uh, you just can't afford to put additional uh, load on. Yeah, definitely. Um, Oracle databases kind of make up the, the majority of our major business systems. Um, also, for that matter, Oracle apps on those Oracle um, databases. So okay. um, Oracle eBusiness Suite, Agile PLM, P6. So Ooh. we're kind of on those, you know, kind of existing acquisition apps that are on-prem. So we've definitely not, for example, moved to the cloud with those yet. So yeah, we're definitely dealing with them, you know, as, as they were when we went live with our systems in 2014. Are you guys like like a lot of larger Oracle customers where, you know, you've probably been running Oracle for a long time, EBS and, and database, and you've got this range of database versions out there, maybe from all the way from version possibly 789 all the way up to the current, I believe 18 is the current. I may be a little bit dated on that, but do you have a, is there, is it a range of Oracle versions that you're having to address out there with HVR? Good question. Actually, because of what happened in 2014, we we got kind of consolidated on that thanks to that period because we had been mm -hmm. on Oracle eBusiness Suite up until then. So that's when we kind of took that point of saying, if we're going to do a bit more, let's be a little bit cleaner. So no, right now we're um, thankfully consolidated on version when it comes to our databases. Oh, nice. Okay. Okay. And what about uh, just, again, kind of highlight, what are you looking to try to get done? We've got, what, three months left in the year or so. Today's uh, for us, October 1, probably... Look at a uh, little holidays in there, a little time off, but what are you trying to get done for into year? Just talking about kind of the, the load on the source systems, we're trying to get some of those critical kind of manufacturing metrics dashboards that we had coming out of uh, our Oracle um, eBusiness suite converted over to using um, Snowflake and just basically just kind of reduce that load because, again, with the new fiscal year ahead, um, we'd really like to see just what it's like to start reducing as opposed to increasing that load and start talking about bringing, you know, more things on using uh, Snowflake as its source rather than hitting um, the source system directly. Okay. So definitely want to kind of get those converted over by the end of the year. And I meant to ask you to, from a, from a data consumption standpoint, Ajay, what, what are you guys using out there right now? What are, what are the primary toolings? Oh, sure. So primarily we have been, uh, we were Periscope data customers originally. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll just mention, of course, uh, our existing you know, on-prem legacy system, of course, is still in place. So we're doing, dealing with both against that Oracle stack. So when it comes to what we're doing now on data consumption, it's been primarily converting from Periscope data to SciSense. Oh, to um, SciSense, so, that's right. Yeah. Okay. And um, recently they've kind of, uh, they're in the middle of the full kind of bringing together of both of the features of both platforms together. So that's really kind of starting to take shape later this, yeah. you know, at this point of the year. So we're definitely looking for more things to move over now that we get the functionality in one platform rather than trying to have it work across two. Yeah. You know, I, I know the topic wasn't, uh, wasn't BI and consumption today, but uh, I had just completed a, uh, I guess it's very specific BI analysis for a client that, um, you know, when you look at the BI market, you've got, you almost have to, it's almost like the data integration market. You've got to categorize it a bit because you can't say that SciSense is equal to Sigma is equal to Power BI is equal to ThoughtSpot. You know, there's this wide, wide range of tools that do that fulfill different um, requirements in in the in the sense of BI. And I think in the recent analysis that uh, that we did, we had. I think we just broadly took six categories. I don't know. There's probably a dozen more out there, but everything from 
you know, natural language query, kind of those search type solutions all the way through to more more traditional. But uh, we'll save that one maybe for another day. Interesting to hear things going well with uh, with that approach with SciSense for you right now. You know, it's interesting. Just I'll just say, touch on that topic just for a moment. Like that's yeah. actually been one of the things for us as we're getting closer and closer to the operationalizing using this data stack is the, you know, is do we have the right combination of experience when it comes mm. to data? Because data availability is kind of the big push that we're trying to make. And traditionally, they're on-prem systems that have been kind of the dashboard approach with OBIE. And part of the thing now is figuring out is, is dashboards the primary way we're going to service you know, the users, or does that need to evolve? So SciSense has been good for us. They obviously, you know, do some things to try and integrate more and more functionality um, that you can use, you know, as you said, natural language query and things like that. But part of what we're trying to figure out is what's the right experience and is it a single tool? And if it is, is this the one that meets most of them or do we need to kind of go a little simpler and expand a bit? Hey, you mentioned single tool. Sometimes, Ajay, I, it feels like it's as hard to get a single tool on the BI side of things as it is on the data integration side. You almost need a little bit of a, a toolbox there, not not too many, but something you can you can draw on based on the use case, based on the pattern, based on the consumption uh, capabilities, based sometimes on the skill sets and, and totally uh, the, the things that your your users are used to using. Right. Absolutely, and I, I think that that's a that's really the the. I don't want to say the challenge, but that is the reality of this now is that now that there are more options and those options are just ominously ever expanding every day, you don't have to feel trapped. And yeah. it's almost like, so you do kind of want to find the right answer and not just confine yourself when you could actually be doing this better because adoption is key here. It's not just about having the tool. It's that whether you can get people to use them. I agree. I agree. Hey, on your perspective, just real quick, and I'll get off the BI talk, but uh, SciSense, how kind of rated maybe, well, I don't want to say rate, what, what's your perspective on how, is there a lot of additional IT involvement, like specific BI team involvement required for SciSense, or does it lean a little more towards, you know, being uh, consumer user friendly? There's, you know, and all tools have pluses and minuses to both approaches. I'm just curious, sure. where you where do you put SciSense in that continuum? I think the reality of it, of it is, is that until you've got some of the other pieces built properly, and I'll oh. say kind of the cataloging, some of what the, the users need to be successful with it, you've got some of the same challenges, whether you have SciSense or something else. Like there, are, it, it's, it's having access to the tool, but it's also having the resources the users need. I think that SciSense, similar to some other ones, like you definitely need to have some focus on how to be successful with it specifically. Mm -hmm. And it's not just kind of the, oh, I have it, I'm, you know, I'm good. It's more like, no, I have it and I got to figure out how to make it effective. Yeah. Um, so I'd say that some of these, again, some of the features that have come to it recently, make it a little clearer on how you can expand the types of users and mm -hmm. what their experience is mm -hmm. using it. So that's made it a little easier to think about that. But before that was a little bit of the challenge is the, well, they're here if they're doing this, but if they're this kind of user, maybe they're in a different spot. So it, it's a little bit more accommodating for the range of users. But still, as you said, there's there's a bit more to think about as far as the do they have what they need to be successful in the tool. And it's not yeah. just I have the tool and I'm kind of I'm done as long as the model's there kind of thing. Yeah. OK. No. Great. Great thoughts. All right. I'm going to I'm going to jump off of BI now, get into the topic that we uh, said we would talk about here. <laughs> and I've, I've gotten us diverted. Uh, data integration. Maybe let's just start with how you rate your complexity on a scale of, say, zero to 10 as it relates to data acquisition in general. You know, uh, I guess you could say what's the, the variety of sources, version, you know, targets, cloud, all those things. Just in general, how would you rate yourself more complex, 10, 
least complex, kind of on that zero end. Well, I think I'll just, before I give you my rating for my own situation, <laughs> I'll say that based on the sources that we want to acquire, I'd say that we're probably maybe on a scale, maybe a six. I'd yeah. say that what part of what the modern data stack kind of unlocks for you is the all the sources that you haven't really had a way of handling. And certainly in our legacy stack, we couldn't handle all of them. So now, as I looked into that kind of new set of sources that we want access to data from, the complexity definitely looks bigger, but it also means that I can't, I, I have to manage the expectations about how quickly we can take on even more until mm. we've kind of nailed this kind of move from one to the other and made sure that those needs are met first. But I'd say that right now we're six, but it, it, it's probably due for an expansion the moment that more of these sources come online because these primary you know, databases have been the starting point. Now, I don't want to act like that simple, but the tools that are out there, kind of as we're mm. going to talk about, have changed what the complexity of dealing with those sources is. I mean, I think that's an absolutely fantastic point. You go, hey, I'm at a six, but if I choose the right tooling, and no tool is going to solve everything, but if I choose the right tooling, at worst case, maybe I don't have to take my six up to a seven or eight, and maybe I can even reduce my complexity because the tool's handling a lot of the things that maybe I had to custom build before, or I had to you know, sort of make this tool do some unnatural things that it really wasn't fit to do. Stretch it, if you will. Yes, that's, yeah. that, that is kind of the thing is the trying to get the tool and say, well, it doesn't do this. So how do I make it do more when it's not really designed to? And do I have the do I have a path to do that or yeah. do I not? And so, as you said, that's kind of the now that there's more things out there. You kind of have to ponder the question of do I stretch yeah. or do I kind of purposely find what what actually dresses it better? Yeah. If you stretch too far, you, you end up when you shouldn't be on a double black diamond skiing as a big, big time yard sale going down the mountain. Right. So <laughs> keep your uh, keep your tools on the greens and the blues if you can. Don't you might want to go to another tool if you're about to go over the over the falls, so to speak. OK, so you're you mentioned HVR. Anything else in your data landscape today that you've got or you've got your eye on? And, and that could even include, you know, some custom scripting, those types of things. Kind of give us a perspective on the current data landscape uh, that you're working with at Powell. Sure. So, um, as we, you know, talking about it, since our, our longstanding thing had been to address those sources, so HVR kind of changed things for us because it made mm -hmm. it possible to think about the other sources. I mean, sooner, to be frank. And right now, Fivetran has been something that spent a lot of time on in the more recent months and kind of just the beauty of what it offers is that I was able to, I've been able to kind of have some time with it in parallel to what we've been doing with HVR and kind of the next steps with it. And that's actually in some ways kind of, as we were just talking about, that's a huge thing to be able mm -hmm. to start to, you know, kind of make those efforts more parallel as opposed to keeping them serious and having to manage expectations around how long it's going to take to get to that point. So with Fivetran, we've definitely been able to accelerate acquisition of some data. I also looked, because we are um, kind of a Microsoft shop, I, I had spent some time with Azure Data Factory. And as we were talking about earlier, it really is deciding where you want, I don't want to say where you want your complexity to be, but it's the right combination of people, process, and tools, and mm -hmm. how you want that to evolve or how you believe it's going to evolve. Just looking forward for, you know, our situation, you know, business, things like that. Yeah, and you make a great point too with ADF. I mean, if you're an Azure customer, ADF, you, you've got that in your tool bag by default, essentially, right? So uh, a, a great number of, you know, tremendous number of connectors and sources out there. I wanted to ask you though on Fivetran, can you give us a sense for the sources that you were looking for Fivetran to address or, or at least what you tested out so far? 
Sure. We definitely kind of leaned, I would say, first on our, our another primary system that we did not have addressed in our current, you know, on-prem stack today, which is Microsoft Dynamics. We um, we definitely okay. um, needed to address it, and there's a native connector for that in Fivetran. So that was our that was our initial entry point, which just kind of made logical sense. Fivetran makes it relative, you know, pretty easy to just kind of start someplace and you know, kind of evolve from there. You don't have to really kind of take the big step in until you're ready to take the big step in. So in some ways, that's actually the Probably the thing about Fivetran that made it compelling is, as we were talking about with ADF, because it's a different requirement on you, it's it's definitely compatible with a lot of things, but it's a different requirement on you when it comes to constructing what you need. Mm -hmm. um, the ability to kind of be able to get Microsoft Dynamics data coming through Fivetran quickly, it was just, it was a compelling reason to, to go that path. Even though it's a Microsoft product and it's possible to do the others, it was compelling to be able to skip some of the extra steps associated with building jobs and scheduling and all that that would be required through uh, ADF. Yeah, no, it's interesting that you say that. So you've got this uh, acceleration on the, the build or configuration side. Do you see a similar kind of uh, net benefit as you are, you know, kind of let's say operating the pipelines or the pipelines are flowing through, do you, do you feel like you've got less oversight and management uh, with some of these Fivetran uh, data integration points than you would maybe with a, a more developer heavy way to go? Well, and I, I should mention, yeah, so Dynamics was the starting point because we've extended a bit from there and um, kind of just looked at the more basic and sorry, just I'll tie up my, a little bit of my question and get to, to what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things we do when we were working with um, ADF is the kind of the, you you know, deliver files to a location and then you pick up files from the location. Mm -hmm. Well, picking up files from a, loca from a location still requires effort from you. Can you facilitate an ADF? Of course you can. But again, it gets into this whole, you are, are you trying to be file-based? Is that where you want things to land? Do you want to get to Snowflake faster? So it gets a little bit into the kind of the design pattern you're, you're trying to approach. And for us, the focus for us was a bit more on landing the data in Snowflake and what we do with it from there and less about maybe let's say the file location. So for Fivetran, just that kind of approach, being able to pursue that allowed us as you know, we were just kind of, as you were just hinting at, uh, allowed us to go at that sooner mm -hmm. and not think of it as staged approach, if you will, like ADF to this point and then other stuff to build to do this. Fivetran kind of took some of that complexity away and let us say, well, let's look at it once it's there and then decide, is this what we need? And to your point, do I have enough control over this or do I not? And just kind of take it, you know, source by source and answer that question. Since I don't feel any sense of obligation that everything has to be there. Since Fivetran lets you bring the logs in and does a really good job of just giving you logs of everything that's happening kind of on its own and you know that data is free going into your warehouse that definitely alleviated some of the anxiousness about it um Absolutely. is that you can still monitor that directly in um in the target but uh we've used azure functions and that's given yep. us a bit more of that um ability to expand into other places so so far so good i'd say um as far as looking at other sources and being able to bring that to bear where there aren't native connectors and for initial trials we do the file we do the file pickup yeah we you know you mentioned in a uh, five trend with that capability to use Azure functions or Lambda functions in AWS, those kind of things. That's uh, I, I think that's kind of the preferred way to go with custom connectors. We've had a lot of success when there's not an out of the box uh, source connector with five to use their functions capability and the native cloud functions capability with the five requirements to do things really, really quick from a, a custom connector standpoint, it does not take, uh, inordinate amount of time, uh, effort, or energy to get a custom connector done in Fivetran, we found. 
I have to admit, like I actually was a little going in, I wasn't sure what it would look mm. like. And having actually gotten a couple of them, you know, up and running, yeah. um, I, just it changed my perspective on it once we saw that actually work. Yeah. Yeah. It is a great way to go. So kind of got a perspective on where you are overall with your data state, certainly data acquisition, data integration. And we're, we're, you talked about Fivetran, HVR, ADF, some of the things that you guys are doing there. Let me, let me give you kind of a general question, Ajay. Hmm. I mean, we are seeing right now almost unprecedented dollars flowing into the data space. You look at you look at Databricks raising 1.6 a few weeks ago at a $38 billion valuation. They'd raised a million on a, I think it was a $26 billion valuation just seven months ago. So you've got, you know, Databricks, for instance, 2.6, 2.7 just in the last seven months. You've got new companies like Firebolt that raised 127 in a Series B. You've got, you know, some of the data integration companies and transformation companies, DBT Labs 150, Matillion 150, Fivetran just raised, you know, five, six. So before we get to Fivetran, I mean, just your general thoughts on this, you know, massive wave of dollars coming into the space, which I'm assuming you look potentially as a very positive because that means there's more features, there's more capabilities, there's more products that you have to choose from as a client. But what's your perspective on this right now? I mean, I think that especially, and I'll just say in general, with everyone's kind of quest to be data-driven and what that should mean, the path to it, the um, complexity of it can vary, obviously, from place to place. So the fact that there are more tools, there's, I guess I'll say this much investment, makes it feel, it feels more okay to figure out what's the right fit for you. It doesn't feel like your goal here is just to fit into what everyone else is doing in a way. Um, I guess I'll say that with traditional data warehousing, and again, I came to that this particular space late. If you, if in some ways it's like I'm not, I don't have nearly the extensive history with a traditional data warehousing. It feels like it's possible to do what makes the most sense for you now. And the preponderance of tools means there'll be a lot of ways for those tools to meet you where you are and what your journey involves. If you're a data company, if it's a critical part of what you do, if data is an asset for you, there are tools that are kind of well suited to some of those needs. If you're someone who's trying to just grow the ability to use more data within your organization and try to eventually get to the point of utilizing it as kind of what your offering is, there are tools tailored to that. So I think that it's great to see all the dollars going um, into it. I think that all the dollars going into it also just has created, and I mean, it's, it's not hard to see that just when you mentioned Databricks, just especially with open source tools, having newer paths to become available as commercial offerings. I think that honestly, it is a, um, we're all lucky in a way that for the, all these outcomes we're trying to hit this preponderance, this explosion of options is, is, is there. And there's so many, out there who need there to be this many options. It's not one of those ones where it's kind of like overbuilding. I'd say, no, actually this is almost necessary because everyone is in a different spot with it and a different spot of what they need the data for. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think it. the other thing from, you know, those of us that consume these tools, you've got, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, I, I hate to say pressure, but I, I think that the company, these these product companies that are uh, developing these types of tools, you, you got to believe that they, there are so many competitors in the space that they go, okay, I've, what's that? What, 
not only what are we doing today, but how can I create a very, very compelling roadmap for the future that, you know, especially in a consumption based model where I'm not locked into you for the next, you know, three, four, five years and depreciating you over the next, you know, number of next decade or whatever. No, I've got to prove myself almost on a monthly basis, certainly on an annual basis that I'm the right solution for you. So I think that you know, kind of that system pressure, if you will, on all of these companies right now, hopefully is going to give us more features, more capabilities, more really interesting things that we can do in the data space. And that's across the entire ecosystem and, and spectrum, I think. I think you're right. And I think that just because the traditional model we have now when it comes to cloud providers means there's always ways to kind of use what's readily available to you is still there too. There's enough flexibility to be able to take, I don't want to call it a conservative approach, but take a bit of a conservative approach and let what's happening in the industry drive the provider you're with to do more, to support more of those cases. So there's still the ability, to your point, because there's so much money going in, where you can be looking at a lot of tools that you want to move to and evaluate, but you can also allow some of this competition to drive the one you're with to evolve a bit as well. So I'd say that, Again, with more money coming in, it allows both of those paths to be viable just because the change management part can be unnerving for some who have come from the traditional model where change management is a four-letter word. It, and again, with security and everything else really coming into the picture, it's so funny looking at the tools and how much you know certification you need. As you said, the pressure around the products, proving this, having all these things when you get started. So I'd say that it actually in some ways also has made the ones that are already there that have the kind of, we have all the things available to you if you're you know in our cloud. It's made it easier to just, if you need to, you can wait things out a bit and just come up with the, how would I make that transition and think in terms of the, if I needed to, how could I, but not feel like it has to be immediately. You can let some of these things mature a bit before you have to make that call. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, I know when, you know, we, I, I saw the news, I guess it's a couple of weeks ago now on, you know, another major topic we wanted to hit on, Fivetran acquiring HVR, Fivetran getting another big round. I think I slacked you that day to say, hey, Ajay, have you seen this? Because I knew that you'd had a lot of success with HVR and then you'd been starting out with Fivetran as well on a couple of these uh, data sources like you talked about. So this was this was huge news and kind of this this waiting game that you talked about where you can wait a little bit now we're this is almost the first signs of consolidation within this this industry mm -hmm. I, I gotta be honest i didn't really see this one coming because i look at you know five train is pure SaaS. it's fully automated fully managed hvr fantastic solution but it but it's not SaaS. you i don't think you would characterize hvr as SaaS, right um as a customer, so I'll kick it off, as a customer of both companies and in both products, what were your initial thoughts when you heard the news and saw the news that day? Well, you know, frankly speaking, since I had, you know, as you said, kind of more re recently kind of become a Fivetran customer for what we're doing, uh, the interesting thing is that we had looked at Fivetran, you know, some years ago, um, and the compelling point at that time was the, hey, if it can meet lots of source requirements, but where it was for our particular sources, Oracle database sources, there was still engineering to be done. And as it turned out, ultimately, Fivetran didn't quite have the right match for our on-prem sources, just because of what our architecture looked like. And so we actually, at that point, had to look for other options. We went through some evaluation, we went through some engagements, and that led us to kind of looking at some of those that do the log-based CDC capture and HVR. 
but the funny thing is that we were kind of interested in Fivetran from the beginning. So for me, it's just, yeah. it was funny because I'm like, well, so if this had just happened a few years ago, I kind of would have had what I was really looking for. So for me, it was almost, I'll say a relief. The, the, I would say that you said kind of initially, the first thought that hit my head, frankly, was the, um, not that we need to get into how these, you know, the consumption model of the, the models between the two tools are, are currently quite different when it comes to how, um, you know, what you pay for and, and, and whatnot. So for me, the idea that, oh, we might get to a more kind of maybe a consolidated approach to it, mm -hmm. that was probably my first, you know, kind of hit was the, oh, this might mean an evolution on that, which is ideal because then I'm not trying to explain the difference in how I'm paying for these things when the cost of my data stack. What do you prefer? What is your, what is, if you could say, here is my ideal model for pricing and how I pay for a cloud service or a data service, what's your ideal? What would you love to have across the board? Frankly, the, the consumption model is, especially as a manufacturing company, you know, and I'll be fair, take away data, think about everything else we do. Everything is about, you know, cost and margin, just like it is for a lot of places, but for us in particular, and we're an ETO manufacturer, so we're chasing it in a slightly different way than just being able to optimize one set of things over and over. Um, the consumption model is easier to wrap your head around because your usage, your benefit is kind of, I say benefit, your usage is driving the um, costs. So it's easier to think in those terms and it's easier to relate what your costs of your data stack should be over time because you're able to kind of equate it to what you're doing, not just talk about it from the perspective of we don't do enough data or we don't do enough this. And I'll just you know give you an example. If you are a pretty, if you're talking about a heavy amount of data, then to a certain extent, paying a bit of a subscription can kind of give you a discount mm. on that approach in a way. But if you're kind of trying to approach the growth of your of your use of data, then the subscription thing can kind of hurt you because you're kind of paying ahead of where your actual value is, and so those those the the, the price is just difficult. Consumption to me always works just because it effectively scales as you are scaling and whatever your pace is. So you're not paying ahead of where you're actually at. Traditionally, especially for software, that was always kind of the problem. And that was just what we were all had. Now that the, this model has become more prevalent, it's much easier to think in these terms when it comes to data stack. So I'd say that in general, if that was available, it's much easier for me to wrap my head around it. It's much easier for me to talk in terms of long-term costs when I look at that. Yeah. And, you know, speaking from somebody that was at Oracle for 10 years and very familiar with kind of that pay ahead model, if you will, I mean, I, I think for, for, for you as a customer of these services, it, it really puts you in a much, much better spot again to ensure that, hey, over the course of the next month, six months, 12 months, this company, this organization, this product, this team is actually delivering me value. You do a three or a five year contract pay ahead, like you said. I mean, there's not a lot of pressure to have that happen until about the last six months of that contract. And then everybody descends on you, right? In this scenario you're talking about, which we're seeing more and more of, uh, it, it really puts a lot of power, I think, in, in your hands as, as a consumer and somebody who's paying for these these types of technologies. Fivetran and HVR are different models right now, right? And and I'm, I'm hopeful as well that you will see a blending of these models where it is much more on the consumption side across the board uh, as you go through. I mean, this is, I don't think it, you know, 
this was a a very very large acquisition in the space it was 700 million dollars um you know five tran also got another round of funding 565 put their valuation over a billion and a half so this is a very very hot space and i think when clients are looking at uh you know when you're looking at these data integration technology you talked about it a while ago ajay you've got there's some you know just plain flat out usability dimensions you've got to take into consideration what are the table stakes for data integration that i got to have and the interesting thing is it's really going to vary based on your sources you you mentioned a while ago when you looked at fivetran originally there were some technical challenges with your sources with the versions with the features i think probably that mm -hmm. you were using at the time maybe you know let's say three years ago fivetran may not have had an answer for oracle rack for instance mm -hmm. right if i was an oracle rack implementation nope couldn't do it so you've got these usability things. you've got technical as well is this a good match for me from a technical standpoint, where I'm going with my stack. And then you've got the business side and you talked about kind of the consumption model. Talk to me a little bit about the, you know, usability, what's most important to you, technical, what's most important to you, and then business, what's most important to you. You could talk about it broadly. It doesn't, we don't have to point directly at Fivetran or HVR, but how do you think about that as you're making some decisions about a product to go down a path with? So I think, as you said, some of what you're having to think about is how do I, how will I recognize my value out of this tool? How can I demonstrate what it did for me and what I paid to get to that outcome? Um, as we talked about consumption model, and again, depending on the tool and where the consumption model is, obviously, you know, plays out differently. Um, because I'll be, go ahead and say, you know, not to talk about BI tools specifically, but see, BI tools fundamentally still rely a bit on the per license user and things like that. And I think that when you're talking about your data team, adoption is a very different thing, right? Because there's no real way to, if it's if it's solving your problem, there's not a reason why you wouldn't adopt it to solve your problem. Like it's not a, it, does that make sense? Like if you're going to make that investment, you're you're making the investment because you want to use it. But yeah. the moment you start getting closer to the, is someone going to use this downstream? Have I, if I've done all this effort, invest this money and done my consumption, how closely does it tie out to the users using it and me showing that it was worth it to do this? Because once the data is in my warehouse, and if I'm a consumption model there, the users using it does dictate what my costs against my warehouse are. But the cost of getting the data there is based on what my needs are. So the question is, is as long as it can solve my consumption issues, consumption needs, mm -hmm. how do I moderate my spend on, on landing the data there, getting my kind of processes built, but not, let's say, going overboard to get everything there this fast? until there's consumption downstream to drive further towards what that investment I made was. So mm -hmm. I think that the consumption model is the better one just because it's easier to think when you're not juggling models between them. We're not at that point where all, every piece of it offers something like that. I mean, granted, part of the reason why you do have as much flexibility as you do when it comes to tools, even technically is the, you can go open source, you can go other directions mm -hmm. with it, is yeah. partly because you don't want to tackle all those challenges up front, you want to make sure that it works the way you need it to first. So for me, as someone who is in a situation where I'm less likely to be able to build all of it, so I need to make effective purchases to cover, you know, again, we said people, process, and tools. That consumption model is easier for me to tie all the way across. Yeah. If I was in a slightly different spot when it comes to what I could build, I might choose to go a little bit different when it comes to which things I would say 
go a slightly different path before I'm ready to move to consumption because I know what my path is once I turn that on. I don't know if that answered your question fully, but I think that that's kind of a little bit of the balancing act here mm-hmm. as far as the how I can deal with the complexity of getting the data there to the how am I sure that it's going to be used or that it's yep. useful. And the idea that I don't have to maintain the ability to do it, like I've got a tool that addresses it, means that if I turn it on today, if I turn it on tomorrow, if I need to pause it for a while, if I need to limit how often I use it, I have that enough flexibility there to decide that I'm ready to do it. Mm-hmm. But I can kind of focus a bit on the, are people using it and ch- adjust my pace because I know that I can solve the problems upstream. Yeah. But it was key for me to know that I could before I kind of put the focus on the adoption part. Because the adoption literacy thing is truly the part that we're all inevitably up against. We can solve all sorts of problems, but if no one's actually adopting the actual usage of this data from me, that cost is still kind of going someplace. I don't want to say wasted because data really, it's hard for data to truly be wasted if there are people getting, making good decisions off of it. But if you're at a, I mean, there's some studies out there right now. If you're at a situation where you spent this on your data stack and your adoption rate of using it is small, it's hard to figure out how to keep spending. And the idea of consumption means, well, you're not spending faster than you need to. So you could still choose to ramp it back where it makes sense. Yeah. Now, those are those are fantastic points. And I, I think that if we do lose sight of that, cons, you know, how is it going to be consumed? How quickly is it going to be consumed? How effective are the outcomes that I'm delivering through that consumption uh, for the business? How, how effective are those you know, we've lost sight of the whole thing. So no, I, I, I love how you tie it all together. Really, really good. Any, let me ask you this, anything from a, I don't know, just a, maybe a product standpoint as you, any compare contrasts that you're able to do when you look at HVR 5 trend, things you've liked and, you know, things that you go, oh, I'd love to, because HVR just, uh, they, they're really close to coming out with HVR 6, right? I think there's, mm-hmm. I've, I've seen it in a few people's hands so far. You guys may have kicked the tires on it. Uh, obviously, Fivetran as a service, you, you're getting new new capabilities on, on a regular basis as well. Any compare contrasts there for folks that are, maybe don't have access to both today and are, are considering what do I do next? Well, I will say this, you know, because as you said with Fivetran, the way the tool is orchestrated, just because HVR up until version six was not a web-based UI. So to a certain extent, you do still deal with some challenges when it comes to the, how are you administrating and monitoring it? To, to be, I just want to make sure. So thick client on the desktop prior to version six. Uh, correct. Okay. Got it. Yeah. There is a, a, a hub component through which data passes mm-hmm. on its way to your um, warehouse. And for the, person on my team doing that, there are some inevitable challenges because of what he can see, what I can see, and trying to create that visibility that I might need, that he otherwise needs to communicate to me, that I need to solve as a part of making the HVR work for me. And we are kind of looking into those things. So part of what Fivetran does have now, again, that I'm hoping will be, is that because the logs are built into the process and they're already going to your target, they've kind of got that, let's say the the observability thing, they've got a path for you to build upon the observability you need. With HVR, if you've got the client, yes, you have it, but then you got to kind of build with the tool all those things that you need. And to a certain extent, there's some time, in, some investment time needed to get those things up and running. It's, it's very capable, 
but you need someone almost kind of focused on those features specifically to get it going. So that's one place where I would say, since Fivetran has that kind of as a standard for each source, regardless of how you're going about that source and which connector you're using, I am kind of looking forward to what the HVR6 might offer when it comes to making that picture easier because it's a web-based access to it. So at least I could more easily kind of see it while I'm trying to build the observability that I need. Now that that, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Let me ask you to, as you were talking, I was thinking, having seen both solutions and how they, and I think you said you, you used Fivetran to access them on on-prem systems as well. What any any uh, likes or dislikes as it relates to how the security aspect is handled for HVR versus Fivetran? Because they are very different. Fivetran's going to sort of come in as a SaaS service from the outside into your network, if you will, to get access to that on-prem. And then five uh, HVR is more going to push that out. What what do you like or not like about both of those? And what would you like to see going forward if you had your your ideal scenario? No, that's a good question. So right now, I'd say so far with Fivetran, we've bridged the gap a bit by taking a, say, a meet in the middle. So we are right now working on trying to connect Fivetran to some on-prem sources for the first yeah. time. But most of what we've done up until now is kind of a meet in the middle where something is doing the acquisition and putting it in the format that then you can connect to Fivetran and allow Fivetran to ingest it. So putting it to a file, to a location it can access or something like that, oh, that's not okay. on the network. So we've kind of, up until now, not tried to directly address it. And now we, the idea was to focus more on exactly how to make that security work. Now that Fivetran also has you know, started offering business critical, it means that there are ways to address this as those needs might grow over time. So that's easier now knowing that that's not a, this is the only way it'll ever be. We already know that there's more options available, especially because oh, now yeah. Azure is about to be fully supported as well. With HVR, to your point, because of your options, HVR can, of course, has a component, the kind of middle component can obviously be deployed in the cloud. Uh, it's got marketplace offerings on, you know, on Azure oh, and AWS. Our particular approach to it has been to keep it on-prem because we have the benefit of a more, let's say, traditional model. And that's one that we, you know, have a lot of already. So we've started there before we looked at what it would be to actually have that be hosted. Because to a certain extent, once you start talking about infrastructure as a service, if that's not a core thing you do, you don't want to kind of put your data, hang your data out there and rely on a thing that you're not, that you don't have the skill set to manage really well. So on-prem, we do have that skill set. So that's definitely what we've done. Because of what, and again, compare and contrast, with Fivetran, I guess what the, the big picture is with SaaS is if there's enough of this out-of-the-box ways to observe how this is happening, then it's easier to say, I don't have to deal with infrastructure as a way of getting to it. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, when it comes to security, HVR allows some simpler options to get to get through that up front. Um, Fivetran, that's a, a lot of what we're doing right now is trying to deal with those use cases and see what we can get accomplished through kind of direct point-to-point -point SSH connection versus what we might need to consider long-term, the higher models what, that Fivetran offers, if it's something that's truly critical to us and we need to have extra security around how the whole process happens. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I think regardless of which uh, solution you're using for which data source, um, my guess is ultimately you're looking for, you know, give me as, as clean, low friction of an experience as possible that any updates, any changes to those data sources, whether they're in the cloud or on-prem, 
not having to deal with a lot of that. that. Those replication processes are happening pretty much automatically for me. And as we talk about a lot, I'm getting in my, in, in Snowflake for you guys in your cloud data platform, you've got really trusted usable data that facilitates a lot of use cases. So now that's, that's great to hear. La last question, kind of compare contrast, anything as it relates to maybe the support model or documentation, kind of these things that you go, okay, here's the technology, here's the business model. You've talked about all those, but yep. here's some extra bonus things that maybe you've seen some really cool stuff that you go, oh, if if one of the companies or another could take that model and or take that approach and, and use it, that would be great as, as, a, as a client of both. That's actually a, a great point because uh, the support for HVR is quite good when it comes mm. to, you know, being able to connect direct and, you know, kind of ask questions. They have good documentation. They have a good knowledge base. I mean, kind of detailed, technical. Here's how you go about this. Here's how you can create this. But it's, again, more of a you're building out. It's more of an approach of the you have HVR and you want to build out more of the features. You want to leverage more of those features. So there's more of a need to have a lot of those things as part of that mm -hmm. model. Um, with the five trend one, because the connectors are effectively being observed on your behalf, if you will, the technology itself is being observed on your behalf. When things kind of break down, you know, definitely depending on the model, you get that direct support to those things being addressed. It's not once you notice it or things like that. So I'd say that if I, if I just compare it from a footprint perspective, right now I have someone who's kind of dedicated to what I'm doing with HVR uh -huh. to monitor it support it, figure out how to build things out, alerts, things like that. And with the five trend one, I've kind of been able to fold that into the team yeah. more effectively across people. So I, I will say that, that uh, the ability to have that be kind of the technical part of it kept up by someone. And I focus more on the direct, let's say, things I need. So for example, observability, I don't have a problem with that. But the mm. alerts when things break down and things like that, any way I could benefit from that being something else would be great for me because otherwise I do need someone who knows intricately how to fix when those things break down. Good example, part of what you do when you are doing log-based CDC is you type, typically keep the logs for a certain amount of time. We have some constraints around that. So if we aren't able to resolve kind of our broken pipeline fast enough with some data coming through HVR, mm -hmm. we effectively have no choice but to kind of start it up again and try to say, okay, well, let's confine how much we bring. Like you're kind of oh, in that God. scenario pretty often with five turn, I'd say, and again, it's not the same source, but there are ways in which they kind of ad address it themselves on the HVR side. It's definitely part of what we have to be prepared to do. And I actually had to build kind of a process for us to handle situations like that, mm. where we can address this, make sure that we don't lose what we've got there, stage the data properly, sync them back up, and then only kind of start back up slower so we don't kind of pull back go back and pull everything back through because it's just even though it can be done fast it's you still end up wanting to do that maybe at a time of day where you're not yeah. <laughs> risking as much yeah. so i would say that in that sense five train um at least right now not having to worry about some of those things is 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 great and i do hope that with hvr there is the ability to support a model like that as a part of if that were to happen Okay, cool. And what thoughts on documentation, uh, likes, dislikes? So I'd say that Fivetran, you know, for the most part, the documentation is pretty straightforward. We've been able to get up and running with most of these things we've tried. Like we haven't kind of gotten mm -hmm. to a point where I had to even reach out to them and say, um, how do I do this? It's not working. Yeah. We've been able to work through them. 
from that perspective on the HVR side, we have had to work through things a couple times, sometimes just because you're trying to keep straight your target, your destination, and the setup. Mm -hmm. Granted, you're talking about databases, so there's a lot more that has to be done from a setup yeah. perspective anyway. But yes, from from that standpoint, five train has been more of a it's been a self serve. Like we haven't, mm -hmm. I haven't had to really create any tickets up until now, um, per se. Again, use cases haven't built out the same. But on the HVR side, yeah, it, it's a it's a very intricate process of doing log based CDC. So inevitably, yeah. there's a complexity. So if there's a way to kind of mitigate that complexity by the kind of five train model, no, no question, that would take what we've got from HVR and take it to the next to mm -hmm. the next level. Truly. Mm -hmm. Very, very cool, man. Great perspective, Zajay. Any, anything, uh, again, out, outside this time, I'm always interested when I talk to you, anything you've got your eye on, let's say outside of the data integration space and all that, but any, any new, I don't know, maybe it's a new topic that you're researching or a particular trend, or maybe there's new technologies in the space. I see stuff around data mesh right now. <laughs> We've got, you mentioned data observability, anything that you go, Ooh, that's, that's going into next year. I, I want to keep my eye on that and, and really dig into it a little bit more. I'll give you a couple things I'm looking at. And again, this okay. is more specific to our use case just because of where we are. Yeah. So I'd say that Confluent has been a big kind of topic for me because we don't have a lot of Kafka in our environment. So the rise of Confluent becomes an approachable way to do something to solve problems where up until now we weren't trying to solve them, if that makes sense. So that's been a, a kind of big topic for me. The other part of that can, is... Can I ask you oh, real quick on sure. that? So one of the things you haven't talked about, you guys are manufacturer, you got a lot of sensor-based data that is, that's being generated. And obviously you have operational systems on the shop floor that are managing, monitoring, surveilling all that. Are you, are you seeing potentially using a Confluent Kafka technology foundation to help capture and, and parse through and, and really start looking at doing some analytics on some of that IoT data? Or are you looking at Confluent for something else? That's, I'll be fair, that, that's kind of one of the main topics for me is how to okay. get access to data that we have not been able to leverage to the, yeah. to the degree that we definitely need to. So yeah, so Confluent for me is very much a, a means to something that what I have to build may not be as complicated to build as it would have mm. been otherwise. So a Confluent is an accelerator uh, the way I see it. I'll go a step further with that because that's kind of the, how do I start making data flow? Uh, when mm -hmm. it comes to being able to kind of access it, land it and access it, a lot of the kind of streaming databases have been a topic for me. So Materialize, I know you had uh, the CEO on there before. So yeah. uh, definitely been kind of observing how that could accelerate this. Kafka fits, it, fits into that very well. But I would say just in general, that and where kind of Snowflake is going when it comes to supporting the more low latency, high concurrency needs that people have for more real-time access to data. I'm, I'm kind of watching to see where how Snowflake reacts to those needs because right now there's a lot of streaming databases that are targeted at it. So I'm kind of looking to see how Snowflake, remember I mentioned to you before the whole, when there are a lot of things that pop into the space, how do the people you're with kind of react to the space? Mm. And so I'm kind of watching to see how things evolve for Snowflake to support that use case about whether or not, rather than kind of taking the, I have a streaming database approach, I have kind of a batch approach, can those things come together so for me the complexity can be less over time because right now yep. what i see is two approaches to it and i'm hoping that maybe for us as we get closer to that maybe that might be able to come together instead yeah no i love it i think confluent and leveraging and by the way yet another company that i think their market cap's about 15 billion they ipo'd a few months <laughs> ago uh jay Krebs and the team over there have done a tremendous job of you know, really taking an open source technology and putting additional capabilities around it that 
you know, enable you just to do more quicker. But uh, yeah, I mean, we've done, I don't know, probably two or three, four projects so far where Confluent Kafka is a, is a key component in that overall stack flowing into uh, helping flow more real-time data sets into Snowflake. And it'll be interesting to see where that goes and how all of the cloud data platforms continue to make adjustments, like you said, to ensure that not only are they handling structured data really well, the semi-structured side, as well as even potentially the unstructured side. So really, really good thoughts. What, um, and I know we're, I'm probably a little bit over what I told you I'd keep you today, but anything else you'd want to give visibility to that we haven't already talked about today? Any special projects or anything like that that you'd like to call out? Nothing I'd specifically like to call it. I guess all I would say just for what this journey has been for us is that the preponderance of what this has meant for us, which is the kind of doing things more virtually and all that, has meant that there is ability to get insight on things from conferences and stuff at a pace that I don't know. I mean, honestly, I don't know if it was at this pace before, but that pace is accelerated now because where conferences used to be the primary thing and the access to the streamed version or the, the recording of it was kind of a several days later type of thing. Mm -hmm. Now virtually everything is kind of instantaneously available. So within the, within a day, you can take your own pace, but still consume all the information in that day and still get almost more out of it than you would have trying to consume all that in a live thing, walking between sessions and things like that. So as long as that's still part of what's out there, definitely I'd say, Take advantage of it if you're looking to, to, to do some of what we are, because I don't know how I would have been able to consume as much of what's going on as quickly if I hadn't had some of these opportunities to double up, triple up on some of what's being discussed. Yeah, I love that, too. And, and I think, you know, with a lot of the cloud services now, you can, you know, kind of do your your virtual walkthrough, as you said, learn, research, do your analysis. And the cloud services now, they make it so easy to, you know, 14 day, 30 day trial, let's test this out. And I don't have to, I don't have to call my IT to pay. Hey, I need, I need a server. I need this. I can just really consume it as I need to do a little POC and, and be off to the race. Hey, this is fit for purpose or, or not. And, and move on to something else, else if it doesn't work out or it's not quite ready for me, you know? Yeah. So I did say finding the tools to try the ability yeah. to find those tools has definitely it, during this period, I don't know what it would have been like otherwise, because I definitely relied on people to individually tell me, hey, you yeah. should look at this. It's It's been great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, do you want to do uh, I think you've done it with us before you want to do a quick lightning round? Uh, sure. I think these, I don't think this might be the first one for me, actually. These are easy layup type questions. Technology you cannot live can't be can't be five trainer HVR or Snowflake. <laughs> Technology you can't live without in your role at Powell. I think I'd probably say I forgot what I want to call the overall. Let's say the uh, the so, the um, social collaborative tool, Teams Slack. That yeah. that that the kind of tool, the real time access to talk to um, partners and colleagues, things like that. Uh, that's that's changed things a lot during this period of time for me. Definitely, I totally agree. Love love that approach. What about do you have a go to cook at home meal or a takeout delivery meal that's your go to? Takeout. Um, I think it's for me. It's takeout. It's um, there's a restaurant in Houston called Thai Gourmet, and I'm I'm not going to say there's a single meal. I'm a fan of several of things they have. I have some go to dishes, and honestly, like nothing kind of gives me the warm and fuzzy than having things from there. And the food keeps really well. So for me, it's kind of not a single meal. It's more like I get it and I get to enjoy it over a couple of days. And that's kind of, yeah, that's my, that's my go-to thing. I definitely sounds, enjoy that. It sounds, sounds great. What about, is there like a leisure spot or area or something like that that you really enjoy in Houston, the Houston area? I got to confess just because of 
with COVID and everything else, it's kind of evolved for me. Mm-hmm. I'd probably blend it back a little bit to the, um, I live right near kind of a bayou. So being able to be out and walking and especially with what we're doing in Houston, when it comes to kind of flood, you get to observe a lot of things just happening when you do that. So for me, that's kind of a leisure spot. Yeah. If, I, if I was allowed to expand a little bit into a restaurant thing, I'd say a leisure spot for me a bit is some of these kind of outlying areas. So like in Pearland, which is kind of right yeah. south of Houston, I'm a favorite spot there. Like, Kiln's Barbecue is one of my favorite places to eat, but it's a great spot to kind of meet up with people and you can kind of sit outside and enjoy barbecue. And when the weather's right, like it's just a really nice kind of place to just eat and relax. And it's not that far out of the city. So you kind of stop feeling like you're in the city, but it feels like just out enjoying barbecue in the country in a way without having to truly be way out in the country, if you will. Very, very cool. Hey, look, nothing wrong with, if you ask me that question, I say, hey, I just love sitting in the backyard, firing up the grill, putting uh, burgers or a paella on and, and enjoying, hopefully we'll see a little bit cooler weather here shortly. <laughs> I mean, I, I got to tell you that I that's probably my favorite spot in the, in the Houston area. Hey, what go. about if you want to unplug from tech for a while, kind of leave your phone, leave your laptop and anything that you enjoy there? Well, so I kind of almost gave that one away, I guess, is that um, my favorite thing to do. I, so I walk every day. It's, it's one of my favorite things probably to do just because when I go on my walk, I specifically, you know, I'll, I'll confess. I mean, I listen to music on it, but like it's mostly about just kind of I don't read anything when I'm on it. I don't, you know, talk to anyone when I'm on it. I just literally enjoy that period of time and I take kind of longer ones. So it's like it's a kind of a fixed unplug every day that I do. And I'll go a step further when I said music. When I walk my dogs every day, I purposely don't I, I don't listen to anything. Like I literally just kind yeah. of enjoy being with them because I find that the music kind of makes you walk faster or do other like you kind of are going to the pace of it as opposed to just letting the dogs dictate the pace. I just uh-huh. like not having letting technology dictate pace during that period of time. So um yeah. that that's probably I guess I would say my unplug is letting something else dictate the pace instead I, of technology. I, I... I love it. Last question. You mentioned Confluent a while ago. It sounds like you got your eye on that. Anybody else, any other companies that you're watching closely right now going into the end of 2021? I, I think I, I'm, I briefly mentioned it. I, I am kind of watching um, Materialize a bit oh, just yeah. because yeah. of what we're, of what, you know, it might mean if Kafka become, of if Confluent is a fit for us and what that could mean. And frankly, you know, it, this is kind of a, it's a cop-out answer a little bit, but just because of trying to uh, i mentioned just not necessarily new companies but i'm also kind of saying based on these new companies what is snowflake doing to address some of those so i'd say that i'm kind of watching some of these newer things coming from snow um snowflake that are getting traction definitely talking to kind exec about what are the you know what are those things where are they on the roadmap that kind of thing so i would say the i'm looking at snowflake more from the reacting to other things that are happening perspective as opposed to just watching those other companies too yeah uh, great, great stuff, Ajay, man. As always, just anytime you want to come on the show, just let me know. Just a real pleasure. Thanks so much for joining today. It's been fun. Thanks a lot, Kelly. It was great to talk. Absolutely. We'll definitely keep up with everything going on at Pal. And thanks to everybody that listened in. Just send us any comments, any feedback. Reach out, hashmapinc.com. We will see you soon on another episode. Take care. Thanks for listening to HashMap on Tap. Be sure to subscribe for weekly new episodes and visit HashMap's Medium blog for new data and cloud technology perspectives. If you have any comments or suggestions for the podcast, please visit the HashMap on Tap page on HashMap's website. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in.